worship team, let's give them a round of applause and thank them for their faithfulness and leading us to the throne of God this morning. That was awesome. Well, we have a special guest speaker with us today, Reverend Salwin Pudley. He serves as the Director of Multiplication for the Southern New England Ministry District Network. Before entering ministry, though, Selwyn was a staff sergeant, and thank you for your service, in the U.S. Army. In 2000, God called him and his family to Zion Bible Institute to prepare for ministry. And listen to this. Over the last 20 years, he didn't do anything. No. <laughs> he served as a youth pastor, him and his wife, youth pastors, associate pastors, lead pastors, and world missionaries. Now, come on. Sowen and Lori, they have two wonderful adult children, Courtney and Michael, and they are proud gr uh, grandparents also. So we welcome you, Reverend Salwin, and warm welcome from Victory. God bless you as you come. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. It is good to be with you, and I appreciate intro I don't know where you got that from I don't want to send those out but thank you but more importantly God's in the house amen yeah. I just this is not my sermon compelled to, to go here but I just want to ask you where does your peace come from does it come because you avoid storms supernaturally takes those storms away from you let me ask you another question how many of you have miracles to look back on in your life not just one. You know, we, we, you see this in Scripture all the time. We were commanded, the Israelites were commanded to build altars because we were member, which means that we're prone to forget. And we would forget the power and the miracles that we see. Then that fear can kind of creep in, right? Think of the disciples and, and, and I think and you see this in the Gospels where the disciples are in this boat and all of a sudden this, this storm comes upon them in the Sea of Galilee. It was known for these crazy, wild, dangerous storms and, and they start panicking and they start saying, man, we're going to drown swamped and and, 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 and and all of this, they're kind of like, where's Jesus? And Jesus is taking a nap in the boat. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever been and you kind of felt like Jesus was taking a nap. Like, let's be Sometimes you feel like Jesus goes, and what happened to them? Can you guys hear me in and out? Am I in and out? Let me just take that real quick. One, two, there we go. All right, so, so sometimes in our storms, we feel like Jesus is taking a nap. Jesus is up and they say, Master, don't you even care if we drown? And Jesus' response to them is, basically, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Now, faith and fear hang out together. If it wasn't, the need, <laughs> if it wasn't for fear, you really wouldn't need faith, would you? It just comes together. But I just want to say to you this. Man, our miracles come from storms. And, and, and God wants you and he wants me to have peace, not because we avoid the storms and not because he can take the storms away. 
He wants us to have peace simply because we know he's in the boat with us. Even if his voice is silent. But storms come with voices themselves. And the storms come in and they start speaking to us. And they start saying how dangerous they are and how scary they are. And we have all kinds of storms. Storms like cancer and and storms like COVID. And storms that are physical and storms that are financial. And they start coming in and saying, look how powerful and look how scary I am. and, And look at my reputation. And look how many people I've taken out. And as we begin to hear and listen to the voice of the storm, we begin to cower to the storm. And it's not that the storm's a liar. Storm actually is telling the truth. It is big. It is dangerous. It's just that God is bigger. Amen? And sometimes when we hit these storms, our prayers change. Our prayers go, God, please help me to avoid the storm. God, please keep the storm from me. We're just saying about being purified through fire. Right? Fire comes from storms. And then we pray when the storm comes, God, just take the storm from me. Take it because then I'll have peace. And I believe God is saying to us, no, you're praying the wrong thing. You're thinking peace comes from me removing the storm. You think peace comes from the absence of storms. Anyone can have peace that way. But what he wants us to learn, because see, he wants you and he wants me to grow in him. And learn more about him. And as we learn more, it comes through storms. I don't like storms. I I hate storms. But I know that God is in it. But God wants you to know this. That you can have peace in his presence. In the midst of the storm. And and this isn't my sermon, so I'm sorry. But let me just say this real quick, all right? So this is how you do this, all right? This is how you do this. When that fear comes and it's normal and when those storms come and they start raging their voice and you feel, you feel the very natural feeling of fear and concern and you start thinking about all the people you've seen take these storms, be, be taken down by these storms. Like the disciples, I'm sure they had seen these storms on the Sea of Galilee sink boats. Their fear wasn't unnatural. It was actually normal. But when these things come... What you do is you go back in your mind to the miracles you've seen in your life. And you start saying, thank you, Lord, for this miracle because you were here in this. And thank you, Lord, for this miracle. And thank you, Lord, for this miracle. And as you go back in your mind to the things you've seen of God, what happens is his voice becomes louder than the storm's voice. And it's not that he gains power. He just basically takes back his, his, his natural position in your life. And you begin to realize, man, this is who my God is. And as you start praising God, the, the, the voice of the storm and the authority of the storm, its voice begins to get quiet and quiet because it can't compete with the voice of God. And so what happens is that storm can lose its power and its authority in your life long before it actually loses its presence. I'm going to say that again. That storm will lose its authority and its power and its influence to create fear in your life long before it actually goes away. Because what happens is you start saying, hold on, you may be big and you may be bad, but have you seen my God? He rose from the grave. And so just encourage you real quick, this is a mini-sermon, write down the miracles that you've seen God do in your life 
put them all over your home, in your car, and every time you get up, you start thanking God. If you're in the middle of a storm, I promise you, he will begin to retake his his his. his enthronement in your life his his position in your life and that vo- the voice of the storm will begin to calm down amen and i think that's what god wants us to learn and so we can learn to say man god thank you for the storms because i've learned more about your authority and your power and i should probably start preaching now can we bow our heads i find it amazing that the god of this universe who spoke this universe into existence, desires to communicate like personally with you and with me. Just personally. If nobody else is in this room, he has something he wants to say to you. And I just want to challenge you, no matter where you are in your life and your circumstances, just to, to put all that to the side and just say, God, open up my heart. To hear not from this guy, someone's got nothing to say, but to hear from him and let him move and transform and empower us. Amen? Will you pray that with me? Lord Jesus, this is your church. It does not belong to anybody except you. These are your people. Lord Jesus, this message is yours. And I pray, Father, that you would speak, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you. God, that you would challenge us. God, that you would transform us. God, that you would empower us. Lord Jesus, you'd be glorified in this place. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the the most defining moments in my life came in 2003. I was with a a team of of folks, and we were in the remote islands of the South Pacific in Vanuatu. My my parents were missionaries at the time down there, and and I'd taken a team to go down and help them. Uh, Just to give you an idea of of how remote it is, uh, there was no electricity. There was no medical. It was bamboo huts. It was 80 miles away from the nearest, like, civilized island um, to get there was just another story. The plane would come like once a week if the grass runway wasn't wet. So it was remote. And, and, and while we were there, after we'd done some work, we had heard about the grave of this, of this missionary that had been there 100 years before. And so we decided, being the team, to go and find the grave of this missionary. And it started off as kind of this kind of, hey, this would be kind of cool to go and do. Let's go find this grave. And so we, we, we went with some local folks, and they led us, and we were literally cutting back the jungle with machetes. And, and I'll never forget the moment we saw this grave. It, it was on the side of this hill way back in, in, in the jungle, and it was just crowded and covered in vines, and it wasn't taken care of. And there wasn't even a name on it. It was actually kind of crazy to see this headstone. It's like concrete headstone in the middle of the jungle. And I remember just walking up. We had to walk past the ruins of this church that this missionary had built with his two hands. As we walked up to this grave, we just stood there. And I wasn't ready for the impact it would have on my life. And as I stood there just looking at the grave, I couldn't say anything. None of us could. His name was James Gordon. James had had gone to the island in 1865. He had come from Nova Scotia. And he had gone to the island because he had heard that there were no more missionaries left on the island. The missionaries that were there had just been killed the year before. He knew this because the missionaries were his own brother, George, 
and Ellen, George's wife. And so James, knowing that the need for these people to, to encounter Christ still existed, would pack up his things and go to the very people that killed his own family. And if there was ever a good reason for not going somewhere, I think he had it. I'm sure you have missionaries in here all the time. I know when I was pastoring, I did too. And, and if a missionary came up to, to, to our church and said, Pastor, you know, here's the deal. I was on my way to this country to, to serve God, but they just murdered the missionaries there. I think I, I, God doesn't want me to go anymore. I would probably say something that I would think is spiritual, like that's probably a good choice. Maybe that's what the God is saying. Reality is, that's probably not spiritual at all. If I had a missionary come up to me and say, Pastor, they've just killed these missionaries, and so I think I need to go. I would probably say, are you sure you're hearing from God? Isn't it crazy how we get things backwards sometimes? Why does comfort determine where God's calling? If he ever had a good reason not for going somewhere, he had it. It wasn't for a salary package that this missionary went. It wasn't for a desire of power or spotlight or position. It wasn't for crowds of adoring people. It certainly wasn't for comfortable lifestyle. So what led him to this place? It was simply the knowledge of the overwhelming need that these people desperately needed Jesus. And that would lead him to sacrifice and go. I knew this story. And as I'm standing there just looking at this grave, all of these thoughts are just rushing through my mind. All of these questions about why and, and who would do this and, 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 and all of this, 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 this picture of, of sacrifice and service and selflessness and love. And, 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 and I'm thinking, man, who would do this? And, and, and in that moment, I felt like Jesus said, I would. And I did. And Jesus would leave the comforts of heaven and he would come to a people that would reject him, to a, a people that would persecute him, and to a people that would eventually hang him on a cross and crucify him. But Jesus would see you and he would see me in our desperate need for him. And he would say, man, if I don't do this, what chance do they have? And he would come. And as I'm standing there and I'm having this kind of conversational thoughts with God and there's a lot going on in the silence, I'm looking at, at James' grave and, and I'm seeing James and I'm seeing James's life and, and I'm, I'm asking these questions. And as I look at James's life, I'm seeing Jesus' life and they look the same. And so I feel like I'm having this encounter with James and I'm having this encounter with Jesus. And then in that moment, I felt like Jesus took a mirror and he flipped it and I saw myself. And my problem is that James's life looked like Jesus's life and Jesus's life looked like James's life. And, but my life didn't look like theirs. And I had reverend behind my name and, and I had pastor behind my name. 
And I felt like in that moment, God was saying to me, Selwyn, I want you to understand what servanthood really is. I want you to understand what sacrifice really is. See, when, when Jesus called me into ministry, I said yes. But I said yes with conditions. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. I'm with you. I said to Jesus, I will serve you, but I will only serve you as a missionary. I am not a youth pastor. I am not a senior pastor. I have zero desire to do any of that. I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I love God. I just don't like some of his people. Some of them are mean. And so I was like, God, I'm all set with that. I don't want to do that. And God allowed me to believe that he heard me. Be careful of the arrangements you think you make with God. But God brought all of this back to my mind. And, and in that moment, God said to me, Selwyn, you said yes, but you said yes with conditions. Servanthood doesn't look like that. I wanted to serve God where I thought I was comfortable. The truth is I wanted to serve God where I thought my skill set existed. Hey, I'm a former army guy, and this is what I can do, and I belong out here in the jungle and all of that, and, and God had different plans. It's funny now, I look back, and at all the years of ministry, there's only a few that have been in mission field. Everything else has been in things I told God I wouldn't do. Standing next to that grave, I came face to face with real servanthood. I came face to face with my lack of servanthood. And I had an encounter with God. I tell people that the loudest, most profound sermon I have ever heard in my life came from a missionary who's been dead over 100 years without him saying a single word. Simply by the way that he lived. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But... Here's the game changer. But if it dies, if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is an illustrated message, so I'm going to kind of just lift this up real quick. Bear with me. I'm one of these preachers that can't speak without my hands. So if you want a short service, give me a handheld mic. something. And for those online, I, I hold in my hand a single kernel of corn. Jesus is talking about wheat, and I want to use corn to illustrate his message. I don't think he'll mind because he made all of it. But how many of you know what the potential of this single kernel of corn is? The single kernel of corn, the potential. This 
single kernel of corn can reproduce itself 1,600 times. 1,600 times. When this seed falls to the ground, is buried and watered and grows, it produces one plant. One plant, on average, produces two ears of corn. Each ear of corn, on average, has 800 kernels. This has the potential. And this is how God designed it. But it didn't always look like this, did it? No. It used to look more like this. Now you're getting hungry. And you're thinking to yourself, I know exactly what to do with that, right? I'm going to take that home, I'm going to throw it in a pot of water, boil it up, put some butter, and some salt. Now you're getting hungry. And you can just taste it. You can bite into it, and it just kind of explodes in the juices. And it's like, oh, this is good. Now you want to go home and get some corn. And you could do this. You could eat this. And if you do that, it's going to produce nothing. But if it's going to become effective, then it has to go from looking like this to that single dried up kernel of corn that I held up in front of you. And that doesn't happen overnight. There's a process. There's a process. And so I want to ask you, what are these green things that are wrapped around the kernels? What are they called? Husks. And what are the purposes of husks, do you think? Protection, right? Keep them moist and juicy. Keep them free from, from disease and safe and free from bugs. All to keep it juicy and safe. But in order for this to become effective, all that outer layer of protection has to come away. And so what happens in God's process is this, that as this ear of corn is exposed to the sun, if we could turn this mic up a little bit, because I'm going to step back from it, if we could just do that. As this uh, ear of corn is exposed to the sun, these husks begin to dry out. And as they dry out, they begin to peel back away. And I'm going to make a mess here. Sorry, Pastor Rich, you're watching online here. And as they begin to dry back, they begin to go back. And I'm kind of skipping some of the process, but it takes a lot longer. And it begins to peel back all the husks. And all of this stuff begins to expose this corn. And this corn is nice and juicy. You can see it squirting when I squeeze it. But it's juicy and soft and moist. But it's still not ready to reproduce. And as the outer protections are peeled back and, and this soft juiciness that we're trying to protect is exposed, it begins to dry out and begins to look less like this and more like this. Now, how many of you want to sink your teeth into this bad boy? Nobody. You're thinking that's a fall decoration. That's something like, like that thing is dead. But this is well on its way in God's economy of reproducing compared to this. In God's economy, this is way more valuable than this. In ours, it's the opposite. And after it dries, you can see how some of these kernels are already gone. It's then that these kernels will fall to the ground And then die and then reproduce. 
unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus goes on in the very next verses and says, the man who loves his life will lose it, but the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. In Matthew 16, verse 24 through 25, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let me put that into corn terminology. What Jesus is saying is that anybody who wants to live their life looking like this will lose their life. And whoever loses their life for me and looks like this will find their lives. So Jesus is not just giving a farming lesson, is he? He goes from giving this, this illustration of wheat to saying that those who love me must follow me. Jesus is actually talking about what he's about to encounter. His way, as you know, on, he's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. And so he's talking about his life. But in this passage, he's not just talking about his life. He's actually giving us his strategy and how he's going to take the world. What he's saying is, this is my strategy and how I'm going to save the world. And then those who follow me, this is going to be your strategy. You're supposed to live like me. You're supposed to follow me and walk like me. And as I am doing, as I'm going to sacrifice myself, you must too. Here's the cool thing. Nobody knew what I was preaching on this morning. We've already been singing these songs. That's God. Can I tell you what the key to reaching New England is? Let me, let me make it larger than that. It's the key to reaching the world. It's not better sermons from our pastors. It's not better worship teams. It's not more programs. It's not more lights, it's not more buildings, it's not any of those things. No, those aren't bad things in themselves, but they're not the key. The key to reaching the world, the key to building God's kingdom, if, is if God's people would simply learn to die to themselves. Not our pastors, not if our pastors would learn to die. Not if our elders or our deacons or our cynicality. If God's people, all of us would learn to die to ourselves. That would advance the kingdom of God faster than anything else. And let me tell you something. This is a message that the enemy desperately does not want you to hear. He is terrified of you getting this message. In fact, he doesn't even mind you coming to church as much, but he doesn't want you to get this. 
Because if you get this, it's a game changer. See, the bottom line is, each one of you were born for such a time as this. You were born for way more than church attendance. You were born and you were equipped for this time. You were given to your families. You were given to your jobs. You were given to your neighborhoods. As good or bad as that may be, you were placed there with purpose. And you are God's plan for those people within the context of where you live and work and breathe. You are God's plan. And right now, the enemy's speaking to some of you. And right now, because he's afraid, he's telling you why this is for other people except you. Right now, he's saying why you are not his plan. He's whispering into your mind saying, but that's not you. You can't do that. That, that. that preacher doesn't know your past. That preacher doesn't know all the things that you currently struggle with. That preacher doesn't know your lack of skill set. That preacher doesn't know. So, so that may be for other people, but it's not you. Because right now, he's going to try and counter everything that I'm saying. And I want to say right now, you are not defined by those things anymore. You are no longer defined by your past sins. You are not defined by your past failures. You're not defined by your past victories. You're not defined by your amazing skill set or your perceived lack of skill set. You're defined by one thing. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. You're defined by his power and his authority. And he lives inside of you. And that is an unconquerable combination of what he wants to do. And so when the enemy creeps in and says to you, you are not qualified. Your simple response is, you are 100% right. But he is. And he's in me. And he's sending me. And so you can throw your arrows all day long. And you're right. That was me. It's just not me anymore. And it, what you're saying only glorifies the power of God. And God has purpose despite my struggles and despite my challenges and despite my, my past sin. But in order for that to happen, in order for us to step out, we have husks in our lives that God wants to remove. See, what happens to, and I'm just going to be transparent what happens to me is, is, is God will come to me and he'll say, someone, I've, I've got this, this plan for you. And my first response is excitement. Like, whoa, man, this is going to be great. And I envision like wonderful things. I, I never envision the challenges, right? Or the obstacles or the cliffs. And then it's like, all right. And then I start walking. And, and God can't trust me with like the end picture. Like if God says, someone, we're going towards that wall, I'm going to go, okay, there's chairs here. So I'm going to walk this way because I don't want to have to, climb over them and I'm going to find the most convenient obstacle free path that I know I can get there on my own and so God can't tell me that because that's what I will do because how many of you really like challenges right See, here's the truth I don't want serving God to cost me anything that's the truth does any of you want serving God to cost you anything because I will hand this mic to you. I, I don't. And that's the flesh. The problem is it's, it's just not scriptural. 
So I don't want serving God. So that's the flesh saying, hey, how can you get it? And so what God sends to me is like, man, we're going in a direction. It looks that way, and he sends me this way. And I start going, this is clearly not the path. And then he takes me to flooding Jordan rivers. And then he takes me to, to walls of Jericho. And then he takes me to, to lions. And then he takes me to all these things that terrify me and, and, and things that I can't conquer. And, and, I, and I try to conquer them on my own. And, and I just can't until I find myself honestly in this like fetal position, crying out to God saying, God, I, I can't do this anymore. And that's right where he wants me, having tried with all of my strength. And, and I feel like he looks at me and says, are you done? Are you done? If not, keep going. Maybe this time you'll get it. And then he says, now take my hand and watch what I do simply by you showing up. And so God leads me to youth ministry. Never thought I'd do that. God leads me to senior pastoring. Let me tell you, my first year senior pastoring, I would literally like prostrate on the ground, crying out, saying, God, this is not me. I cannot do this, right? This is a horrible image of a senior pastor, but I'm just saying, like, that, that's where he leads us sometimes, right? And I'm like, God, and he's like, Selwyn, don't you understand that this church is too important to me for you to do it in your strength? This church is, it was never meant for you. I don't want this church to go as far as you can take it. I want this church to go as far as I can take it. And if I dare let you operate in the comforts of your strengths, you will act like you don't need me. But if I take you to the impossible, then you'll be desperate for me. And when you're desperate for me, you watch what happens. And then I stand up on Sunday morning and third things are happening and I'm going, really, it's not me. It's him. There's no way. And so there's purpose in our lives for those impossible situations. And so for me, in my experience, God hasn't led me to my skill sets and my strengths. He's actually led me to my weaknesses. And in my control, doesn't it? How strong he is. And it glorifies him. But in order for me to, to dare to trust him, to step out in, into my weakness, I've got to have some husks removed in my life. Dare I say, you have to have some husks removed in yours. I have a son, he's 22, he has autism. So for me, when, when, when God called us into the mission field, we, we were going, we were excited, but as I started getting closer to it, these fears began to, to develop. Like, God, what, what if? Like, what am I going to do if, if, you know, we go there and, 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 and how am I going to handle, like, health insurance for him? Or, or, and how am I going to handle housing? Like, what if we give our lives to this and we, and we come back in and, 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 and our later years and now we've got no home and, and I've got responsibilities for him and what about finances for him and what about, and all of these things now. Now, as a father, is there anything wrong with those questions? No, I'm trying to take care of my God-given family. I'm trying to be a good steward of what God's blessed me with. But when I use those as excuses for not moving in obedience, they become idols. And so in those things, I feel like God says, someone, this is a husk in your life. And I'm a lot. Is there any other way? You know, is there any? And so he, he, he slowly takes that husk and he begins to peel it back gently. Will you trust me with your son? Will you trust me with retirement? Oh, I've got to have retirement. You know, I've got to have, you know, and they want to come back up again. And all the world says you need all your husks. 
This whole life is about putting husks on. In God's world, it's about taking husks off. And so God, and there's this fight between flesh and faith, and it's a struggle, and, and some days are stronger than others, and one day God's got the husk down here, the next day I throw it right back up again. And it doesn't happen overnight, but there's this process of slowly removing my husks. And my friends, I wish I could preach this message saying, I look just like this today. Because then I could preach to you guys. Y'all need to look like this. The truth is, I still have husks. We all do. But we're in a process of learning to surrender those husks to God. And as I dare to allow these husks to come off, I begin to dry up and I begin to step into things that God, I never thought I would do, never wanted to do. And I begin to see God move. Can I ask you, I've been honest with you guys, can I ask you, what are the husks in your life? Let me ask it a different way. As a pastor, I've done many funerals. And often lean to funerals, you have conversations with people. And, and some people will say, you know, I always thought I would do this for God. And my heart breaks in those moments. And I, I don't say to them what I'm going to say to you. But a lot of times I'm thinking, well, why didn't you? And if I were to ask that question, the response I more than likely would get would be, well, I was waiting for everything to line up. I was waiting to have the finances and when I have my retirement and when I've paid off my house and when I've done this, then I'll be in this opportunity to serve God the way I desperately want to. And then that's no different than the Selwyn who's looking at James's grave saying, God, I'll serve you, but I won't serve you here. It has to be on my conditions. And God says to us, no, it's, it's not about that. You need to step out when God says step. Faith isn't stepping when every, all the ducks are in a row. Faith is stepping out in obedience to say, boom. And can I redefine what success is? Success isn't large ministries. Success isn't huge numbers. Success isn't all these things that we think it has to look like. James Gordon, in his mind, probably thinks he was the most unsuccessful person. He was killed by the people he tried to reach. And he's buried in the middle of a jungle, away from everybody. But I thank God for him. And the message God gave me a hundred years later in my life. Success isn't those things. Success is simply obedience. And you trust God with the results. The results are on him, but you step out in obedience. So what is it that God said to you? What is that calling that God's had in your life? What is that thing that, 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 that God said, man, this is what I have for you? Can I be honest too? Not everyone's supposed to be on the worship team. Okay? I had a worship pastor, and I told him, if you ever allow me on the worship team, I'm, I'm going to fire you. Because you are not doing your job. I cannot sing. I don't need to be up there. There's a difference between what our flesh wants and what the Spirit wants. So we need to decipher what is God saying to you, not what you want. Because sometimes we want the spotlight. 
Sometimes we want the pulpit. Sometimes we want the crowds. And it can get confusing. What does God want for you? What is the thing that you're going, man, God, I feel like you're calling me to this, but I'm terrified of that. What if just one of you got this message? Just one. Just one. What if, what if two of you got this message? And this is where the enemies really begin to sweat. What if three? What if the way God works with wheat and he works with corn, he actually works with people? Why is it that we see this all over the place in all kinds of fruit and seeds and all these things? Would it be any different for you? Maybe this is a message that he keeps preaching to us and preaching to us and telling us and saying, this is you. Like, you can never look at corn the same way again. What if God is saying this to you? What happens if you reproduce 800 times and then they reproduce 800 times? This church can't hold what God wants to do. This city cannot hold what God wants to do. What does God want to do in your neighborhood? What does God want to do in your workplaces? What does God want to do in your families? He has positioned you for such a time as this. Go. Go. You are still his strategy. You are still his plan. We can look at the disciples' lives and look at them and say, man, he poured into them for three years. And on the most crucial moment in Jesus' life, they took off. As he's approaching the cross, right? Peter's denying him. You know, hardly anybody's. No, they all take off. One was at the cross. And Jesus comes back. And if I was Jesus, I'd come back. I'd call them all back and say, you're all fired. Three years I wasted my time pouring into you guys, and, and then you take off? That's not what Jesus does. Je- and I love this. Jesus looks at them. Despite their, their fear and their failure, he calls them in, and he basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, you are still my plan. Despite your failures, despite you running away. And then he says, before he sends to heaven, now go. And I am paraphrasing He said, but but hold on one second. Before you go, don't you dare try and attempt what I have for you on your own. I've seen what you do in your own power. You run away. I've got something for you that's a game changer. In fact, you can't accomplish what I've got for you on your own. You wait for it. When you get the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I will empower you and you'll be my witnesses. It'll be me going in you. I love that because what God is saying to you and what he's saying to me is despite my failure, despite all of my struggles, despite my attempts, man, I am still his plan. But he doesn't want me to do it in my strength. He wants me to do it really dependent on his. And when I move out in his strength, his power, that's a game changer. Can I ask the worship team to come back up? We're going to close in in worship, but I just want to ask you to stand to your feet where you are. 
and, and I, I want you to have a moment with God, and, and I simply want you to, to answer these questions. What is holding you back? Right now, some of you are, are thinking, maybe there's a ministry that, or something that God's called you or placed on your heart, and, and, and it's been there some for years, and some of you, it may be a new thing. And let me ask you this question, why hasn't it happened yet? That's not a criticism, but I, I want you to answer that honestly. I'm saying this in love. Answer that honestly. Why hasn't it happened? Tell God why. Tell God it's because the finances aren't there. Or, or tell God it's because your courage isn't there. Or tell God it's because your skill set isn't there. Tell God, tell God whatever it is. And as you tell God what you're doing is you're actually identifying these green husks in your life. And God's not beating you up this morning. God's saying to you, you have no idea what I want to do in and through you. You can't conceive it. You can't imagine it. But wow, I've got amazing things for you to do. And, and outside these walls, there are people desperate, desperate for what you carry inside of you. But I want you to go. But if you're going to go, you're going to have to surrender some things. You're going to have to surrender your comfort. You're going to have to surrender your finances. You're going to have to surrender your, your skill set. Some of you, it's your strengths that are holding you back. Because you only want to move within those things. And some of you, it's your weaknesses that are holding you back. Because you don't think you, you're strong enough. And some of you, it's, it's past sins. And some of you, it's abuses that were committed against you that you define yourselves by. And I want to say this again. You are not defined by any of those things. You are a child of the living God. You are washed in His blood. You are clean. You are set free. You are empowered. Now please, there's a world that desperately needs you to go. And some of you need to step up in this place. But this isn't God help us if we only serve here. He wants you to serve out there. In your neighborhoods. In your workplaces. And some of you are going to be rejected. And some of you are going to be pushed aside. And we can celebrate because you're being persecuted like he was. But it's all for him. My friends, what are your husks? You don't have the power to remove them. But he does. And maybe some of your prayer is, is coming up to God and saying, God, I have no idea how you're going to remove this from me because my life has been defined by this husk for as long as I can remember. And all I have the power to do is to name it, and it terrifies me to do so. And so, God, this is this thing in my life that is too big. And, God, I want to serve you, but I feel like I'm bowing to this thing. And, and God, here's this wrestle. But more than anything, God, I want what you have. So please, Lord, as I name it, will you do what only you can do? And God, as it tries to creep up the next morning, God, would you take it again from me? 
daily. And God, would you use me not to build my name, but to build yours. Not to build my kingdom, but to build yours. And would you be glorified in my life? As this worship team closes us out in prayer, we're going we're to close in worship and the service is dismissed, but would you spend time with him? I'm going to pray and then they're going to lead in worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every life in this place. God, I thank you for the purpose you have for them. God, I thank you that they are empowered by you. I thank you that you have a, have a, have a mission for them that they can't even imagine or dream of. I pray against the voice of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we silence that voice. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that our identities would be renewed this morning, that we, we're no longer identified by the past or fears, but we're identified only by you. And God, would you help us now in this moment to, to, to see the husks in our lives that we can name. And God, would you do what only you can do as we, Lord, as we bring those, we have to be the ones to bring them to you. You won't just take them from us, but God, as we bring them to you, God, would you take them from us, God? Would you build us, Lord? Would you use us? But most importantly, Lord Jesus, would your name and only your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.